Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keen, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now, here's your host, Parker Keen. All right, well, we're back. We're live, episode 25. We made it 25 episodes deep. So let's get right into it. All right. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. So um, this weekend we had, obviously, the Fi- the Fury versus Wilder rematch. Um, I mean, to me, this had this is just a big fight. This is the one. I've been talking about this for weeks on the podcast. You know, this was, for me, this is the one of the most important fights of the year. Tyson Fury comes out and just absolutely demolishes Deontay Wilder in seven rounds. Wilder's corner throws in the towel. Um, Fury wins back the WC, WBC belt, the ring belt, and the lineal heavyweight title. Fury sent Wilder to the canvas four times. I don't think anyone saw that coming. I know, I, I think the betting was kind of, everyone's kind of 50-50 on, you know, Wilder or Fury. But I don't think anyone saw Fury going in there and just dismantling Wilder like that. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy who mostly has has one on points. I mean, he wins by decision. I mean, you watch, you know, go watch Fury against Klitschko. It's like one of the most boring boxing matches I think I've ever seen uh, at heavyweight. I, I, It's just the transformation of Tyson Fury and the game plan he brought into this fight is something we have not seen from him before. And it was it was unbelievable. I mean, I was standing in a crowded sports bar watching this and just an absolute shock at what Tyson Fury was able to do to Deontay Wilder. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So let's get into it. I want to first, let's talk about the walkouts. How ridiculous were those walkouts? Tyson Fury is the best in the game at walkouts. Literally every time he switches it up, does something just outlandish and badass and just crushes it. And then we had Wilder, and we'll we'll get into his walkout later, but he comes out in the Transformer outfit with the red eyes shining and the wrapper and the Black History Month thing. It was just, it was a spectacle. I, I love boxing walkouts, especially when Tyson Fury is involved. He's just so awesome at it. What'd you think of the walkouts? So absolutely loved the throne uh, for Tyson Fury. Thought it was awesome. You know, the whole scene of him getting rolled out by, you know, four beautiful women uh, rolling him out on this throne that appeared to float above the crowd. I mean, such a cool moment. I, I think my one criticism would be we got to get this guy a different cloak, right? I mean, that cloak looked like it came from Walmart, Parker, let's be honest here. <laughs> he didn't spend you know, the 40 grand like Wilder did. Here. He didn't spend the yeah, 40 grand well, on the outfit. Yeah, Wilder. <laughs> Wilder's coming out looking like Mortal Kombat character or a Power Ranger villain. He's got the light up eyes. It's like, you know, glowing with all the crystals on it. Um, I don't know what it had to do with Black History Month. Uh, I honestly have no idea, but man, it looked cool. Uh, it felt big. I, I'm just sitting there thinking like, if you're the UFC, how do you look at something like that and say, you know what? This is a bad idea. We should really just stick with our bland walkouts from the tunnel with no personality and Reebok hoodies. Like, can we get some fun walkouts in MMA, Parker? Yeah, I know. I I totally agree. Dana White, let's have some fucking fun. Let's quit messing around with these boring Reebok vanilla walkouts. Let's get a little crazy here. 
Come on. If you liked what you saw on Saturday from the walkouts, go on YouTube right now and you search Genki Sudo walkout. You will not be disappointed with my man Genki Sudo, who is the king of the walkout. And and I almost felt like Tyson reminded me of a Genki Sudo walkout. So, uh, you know, I just love I love that whole spectacle. Of we it. need so, we need a really Japanese excited. MMA buzzer every time you make a Japanese MMA reference. We'll keep a counter at the corner. <laughs> All right, so. Um, yeah, and Tyson Fury coming out to Crazy by Patsy Klein, Like, the slowest song, but the most perfect song for Tyson Fury. That man is crazy, crazy. And his his tactics, I mean, you got to have balls to get in, get in on Deontay Wilder like he did. No one has been able to do that without eating one of those gigantic right hands. So let's get into it. The actual fight, um, what did you think of just Fury's game plan? You know, to me, Fury really made changes from the first fight. Deontay, oh, he's going to get outboxed by Tyson, but he's got that great equalizer in that right hand. And, you know, I think Tyson completely flipped the script and came in with a brand new game plan. And obviously it worked wonders. So let's let's dive into Tyson first. What what were some things that stood out to you on the way he fought and the strategy he, he employed to dismantle Deontay Wilder and give him his first loss? Yeah, I was really, I mean, shocked is really the right word here for the way that he came forward, sprinted right to the middle of the ring, right as the fight started. He he came right at him. I thought, I actually thought Wilder did look somewhat evolved from the first fight. And he was, he was hitting uh, Tyson with some hard jabs, some snapping jabs early. But the difference was Tyson Fury was rolling with every single punch and really, like you said, you broke it down last week for us, but really making Wilder pay for yeah. every single miss. Yeah. Every time Deontay Wilder missed a punch, he ate one from Tyson. And then he came forward. He came forward over and over and over again. He landed the equilibrium shot in the third, that big right hook that put Deontay Wilder on the canvas. And that really took away Deontay's legs. And from that moment on, you could tell Tyson knew that he was fighting a compromised guy, and he came right for him. Yeah. He smelled blood in the water, and he came for the kill. I, I was so, so impressed with just the the fearlessness to come forward against the hardest puncher in boxing history like that. Yeah, I agree. The, the biggest thing for me, and we kind of talked about this last week, I I said I thought there was a possibility that Tyson would try to make it a dirty fight, get in there close, clinch with him, you know, lean on him, weigh on him, and try to suck that energy out of Wilder. And he, I mean, after he stunned him in the third round with that shot to the ear, um, you saw a lot of that. I mean, Tyson was just walking him down, not scared of that right at all. He kept Wilder on the back foot, which is, to me, um, Tyson laid out the, the blueprint on how to beat Deontay Wilder. Um, but... I mean, it's got to, it takes a special talent. It takes someone that's got the balls like Tyson Fury to just walk through the fire to get in there, get in close, and beat him up. And it also helps that he's 6'9", 270 pounds. I mean, once he's in there, he's clinching with Wilder. He is just you know laying on him, beating him up, hitting him in that ear, hitting him with the uppercuts. And I was, I was really, really impressed with Tyson Fury. It just shows 
to me, and we'll get into this later, but at the moment, there's no one in that heavyweight division that's going to beat Tyson Fury. Anthony Joshua, Ruiz, Ortiz, none of them. I think Tyson Fury is above and beyond the best boxer on the planet right now at the heavyweight division. And he's just got all the intangibles. He's got, he's got the heart. He's got the will to win. He's got, you know, he can take massive punches. We saw that in the first, first fight with Wilder. And he's just more skilled than these guys. And that, that game plan really, really impressed me. I mean, he absolutely flipped the script and I, I think he caught Wilder off guard because how aggressive he got after, after he heard him. I mean, after he heard him, he was just on him on him, on him, until he eventually put him away. So, yeah, I was very, very impressed with um, with Tyson Fury. And then another big thing for Tyson that always stands out to me is just he's a, a special fighter. He's like a Conor McGregor, um, one of these people that they're just going to show up every time on the biggest stage. They're going to deliver. And he believes in his mind that no one on the planet's going to beat him. And that's what I think really sets him apart from a lot of these guys. You know, a lot of these guys, they hit adversity and then the doubt starts creeping in. We saw that, you know, in the Joshua fight when he got clipped by Andy Ruiz. You know, he looked shell-shocked like he didn't know what happened to him. Um, Tyson is literally someone, to beat Tyson, you're going to have to switch the lights off. And I don't see that happening with Wilder. If they do a third fight, I don't see that happening with Joshua if they make that mega fight. So... Um, yeah, that was kind of my thoughts on Tyson's performance. I mean, obviously very, very, very impressive. Um, no one's been able to do that to Wilder and Tyson Fury was the first man to do it. So, um, moving on, let's talk about the weight. I I covered it a little bit, but you know, there was a lot of, you know, speculation about the weight leading into the fight. Both guys came in, I think Wilder came in about 15 pounds heavier. Fury came in like 24 pounds heavier. What did you think in the end? was the impact of both guys coming in heavier. Yeah, so I uh I think you alluded to it earlier, but I think you really saw it in the in those clinch moments. I know Tyson ended up getting a point taken away that ultimately didn't matter, but um you know, he was able to use that clinch to really weigh on Wilder, wear him down, make him carry the extra weight and you know, I I think you could see that Wilder really felt it. You know, he looked really sluggish towards the end of that fight and I think that clinch and that extra weight had something to do with it. And then I think the other thing that I noticed is despite the extra weight, I didn't feel like Fury was any slower or feel like Fury was, um, you know, not moving as well. I He said that he worked with George Lockhart for this, which mm-hmm. obviously very famous in, in the MMA world for working with fighters and said he'd never eaten more in his life. He'd never drank more water. Um, and he felt the best he ever had. And, you know, when you look at pictures of him from just a few years ago where he's 400 pounds and bloated and huffing and puffing uh, going on runs, and then you look at him now where, you know, I, I don't think we could say, like, he looks felt or he looks jacked or anything like that. But, I mean, the guy looks to be in really good shape and certainly boxes like it. So I, I think if if that's the Tyson Fury, we're going to see at 270 pounds you know, I'm all for it. And I think that's the right weight for him. Yeah. I actually heard his dad, uh, John Fury, who is, if you haven't seen an interview with John Fury, he is like the spitting image of Tyson Fury. It's, it's a little creepy how similar they are. I mean, they literally sound like the same guy, but anyway, uh, John Fury was talking about when Tyson was coming up through the ranks, some of his best fights, he was between about 267 and 275. Um, and that's, that, 
what he feels is just the best weight for Tyson. He said, you know, when Tyson was younger, he was he was always trying to look good and, you know, keep lean and trim. But when he kind of let himself go on some of those camps and got up in those heavier weights, um, he just delivered his, you know, his power held better. He said, you know, really his boxing, no matter what weight he is, he's going to be night and day better boxer than a lot of these heavyweights. So he felt bringing that extra power, you know, 10 to 15 pounds just helps him when he gets into these type of fights. I mean, he's got more power from distance. And then when he's weighing on you, I mean, that's a man that's almost seven foot tall, 270 pounds, just weighing, weighing on you. That's a lot to take over a 12 round fight. So yeah, I, I like the, the new and improved Tyson Fury. Um, like I said last week, to me, he just seems locked in. You know, this is a guy that, you know, he rose through the ranks, became heavyweight champion at 27 years old, beat Vladimir Klitschko, who had, I think, defended his title like 24 times. And then after that, just kind of lost all of his motivation, got out of the gym, had, you know, spells with mental, uh, mental health issues and, you know, put on 400 pounds. But from him, from his first fight with Wilder to now, he looks like just a totally different fighter. I mean uber uber confident i just feel like he's on the top of the top of the world right now and doesn't feel like anyone can touch him yeah and i i was reading uh an interview with ben davison who mm-hmm. is his trainer from the first fight mm-hmm. talking about um kind of the transition away because he obviously got rid of ben davison but they've remained friends and he's now with uh sugar hill stewart in the the detroit cronk gym now ben um, davison is billy joe saunders coach correct is that how they got yes. hooked up? Okay. Yeah, and he's friends, and he and Tyson are still friends. Tyson basically said, like, look, I, I just need to go somewhere else and learn more. Mm-hmm. And Davison said that's kind of the beauty of Fury is that he'll go to different trainers, and it's not that he has these, like, ugly partings with people, but he really, like, can take something from each different person's style. And I think – that's kind of the mark of a master that we saw from Fury um, on Saturday is like he was switching stances. He was switching his style from what we normally saw. Um, and, and I just think he was able, the reason he wasn't afraid of that right hand from, from Deontay Wilder is he saw everything that Wilder was doing. He saw every punch that was coming at him. So he was really able to like hone in on what he needed to do and not have to worry so much about being defensive, which I think really plagued him in the in the earlier fight. So, um, again, I, I know we keep raving and ranting, but that is as good a performance as you're going to see at the top of heavyweight boxing. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And we, we talked about it um, briefly, but I, I had a little insider scoop from McSweeney that um, that was kind of the, the issue that Tyson had with Ben Davison is – you know, he wanted him to kind of use his boxing, stay out on the rain, you know, stay out at distance and just kind of outpoint Wilder because he felt like he could outbox him and stay safe at the same time. But I really think Tyson just flipped the script on his with his mental attitude towards this fight. He he took he felt the biggest punch that Wilder could hit him with. It didn't put him away. I think that gave him confidence going into the second fight. And he really wanted to go in there and make a statement. And he did. I mean, he brutalized Deontay Wilder for seven rounds and I mean, just outclassed him completely. Um, so yeah, obviously, so he did switch up trainers. He had sugar, um, Emmanuel Stewart's nephew, I believe that sugar Hill. 
He's Sugar from Al. yeah, from the Crunk Gym in um in Detroit. They've kicked out fighters like you know, Tommy Tommy Hearns, people with that you know just come forward, fight aggressive fighting style, and um and then he had Andy Lee in his corner. I think it was Freddie Freddie Roach in his corner as well. Uh, I'm not sure. I know. Uh, I know Stitch was the cut man. I definitely recognize Stitch. But. Yeah, he had two two cut men in there. But um, obviously, it was a success. The the blueprint they laid out apparently it was Sugar Hill's you know masterpiece. But um, what did you think of the trainer change? And you know, do you think Tyson will keep those trainers moving forward for the next fight if he gets set up in a rematch or you know a gigantic me- mega fight with Anthony Joshua? I mean, you can't you can't switch trainers now. That's a, that's as good as we've ever seen Tyson Fury. Despite all the great things he's done in his career, all the achievements he has, that's his best performance, and he did it against arguably his greatest opponent. I, I don't know why in the world you would possibly change anything you did in that camp. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so let's talk about Wilder real quick. Um, to me, I agree. I. I think the weight may have affected him differently. Obviously, we we both agree that it was a huge advantage for Tyson, but Wilder's never fought that heavy before. He usually fights between 212 and 225-ish. So, I mean, that's 15 pounds heavier than he's ever fought. And to me, he just looked kind of flat-footed, kind of sluggish, kind of slow, like he didn't have the ability to just uncork that bomb like he like he's used to it just looked like everything was kind of in slow motion and telegraphed and his feet were kind of stuck in the sand. What'd you think about Wilder? I think that he didn't know how to fight somebody that wasn't afraid of him. I think Wilder, you know, if you think about the toughest fights that he's had, I mean, I guess the closest thing to that would be like a Luis Ortiz, but like, you know, even in the first fight, I thought Tyson was a lot more hesitant, a lot more tentative to move forward. Um, you know, Ortiz is really the only guy who came forward on on Wilder um, and and put him in trouble. And, and then Wilder eventually knocked him out. And then in their second fight, Luis was a lot more hesitant, a lot more tentative. So um, I just think Wilder was really thrown off by someone who wasn't afraid to get hit by his power punches saw everything he was throwing, really read him like a book, and then um, was able to capitalize on it. I'm not sure that it was the weight or he was moving slower or anything like that. I think really the advantage was on the mental side of things and and really figuring out exactly what Deontay Wilder's tendencies were and and exploiting them. No, I agree. I I think between Fury and his training staff, I mean – they watched that first fight and they just figured if you make him fight off his back foot, his power goes away. And once his power goes away, I mean, he's really not a complete boxer. He's got by these, you know, 41, 42 knockouts on basically having the ability to just start someone. And if that, he doesn't really have a plan B. That's the biggest thing with Wilder. If he can't get that big right hand, he's going to lose a decision or. I don't, I, there's, there's no plan B really. I mean, he's just not Teddy Atlas said this. I heard him on the podcast. He just goes, Wilder's not a good boxer. He's not, he's just got the great equalizer in that right hand. And it's been able to save him, you know, time after time, after time. 
And then when he runs into someone like Tyson Fury that A, is not scared of him, B, is probably the best boxer on the planet at heavyweight, there's no plan B. And that's what happens. You just... Fury took everything he had and he just walked him down and beat the living shit out of him. So um, that leads me to the next point. I want to ask you, it looks like I think things are trending towards a rematch because Wilder's got an automatic rematch clause in this contract, but I think he has 30 days to implement it. If they do, I think he triggered it. I think he triggered it today, actually. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to get a third fight. Um, what, if anything, do you think Wilder can do different? Because I, I don't, yeah, so after that fight, I, I don't see them being in the same class. You know, obviously Wilder's got that right hand that can come out of nowhere and catch you, but I, I just don't see a competitive third fight in the, in the third fight. Yeah, so... I tend to agree. I think, you know, we've seen these guys in there for almost an hour in the ring of ring time. And by basically every scorecard, Tyson Fury has beaten Wilder 14 out of 19 rounds that they've been in there together. That's about 75% of rounds. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that much changes. I think, but there's a few things that I have down that I I think Wilder could do to, to change his style a little bit and maybe... Have a, have a better chance against Fury. Number one, he's got to get out of Tuscaloosa. He's got to go to a different camp, to someone who's not going to baby him, who doesn't know all of his tendencies, doesn't know all of his, you know, all the ways he's boxed before, and find someone who can do some different things with Wilder and, like, do some muscle confusion things, work some techniques he's not used to, um, get him... Just some new weapons in his arsenal because we've seen a very similar looking Wilder um, for the past 10 or so fights. And it's like he's getting better at playing this style of game, but he's not adding new tricks. Um, The second thing I think I I think Wilder's really got to realize is like his whole career has basically been about wait for a guy to make a mistake. Let a guy punch himself mm-hmm. out, hit him with a measure the distance, hit him with a couple jabs, couple hooks here and there. Don't really box him like you said. Wait for that mistake and then hit him with a big overhand right. And I think that strategy is never going to work against Tyson Fury ever again. I think it worked okay in the first fight. He got up, and then in the second fight, he showed that that's not going to happen. So I think he's got to work on almost like a karate blitz style where he's able to rush in and hit guys with a flurry of punches. Michael really Benham-Page. that power. Yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, even like a Stephen Thompson-type flurry um, because he's not going to close the gap on boxing skill. You know, he's actually like, he's 36 or 37 years old. Like, he's not an especially young guy at this point. Um, I, I just think he's got to get in there and and – find a way to utilize his athleticism in a way that doesn't just involve one punch. And I think the way to do that is using like some sort of blitzing style where, you know, he's, he's at least brawling for some segments of that fight. But even then I don't see a way that he beats Tyson Fury. No, I mean, you're right. He almost has to go in there and make it kind of a reckless fight. Like he's got to go in there and just, yeah, I think that's ex- exactly right. What you just said, he's got to take more risk, and he 
He can't. He literally, if Tyson Fury's walking him down like that, he literally cannot fight off his back foot. There's, he he looks so confused, like he didn't know what to do. Um, but I mean, the the reality is Tyson. I don't think Tyson Fury let lets him fight like that. Even if he went to some Joshua Fabia spiritual guru and figured out how to karate blitz or you know whatever, I just think to me this is like McGregor Khabib. I I just think. The curve is way too steep to recover. You know, I, I, and I don't see any just clear cut path to victory for Wilder in a third fight unless he just gets reckless and catches Fury with something crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm well, you not... have to invite that. You have to invite that recklessness. You have to make the fight reckless, make it chaotic. And like, he typically, for being such a big knockout artist, he's not a reckless fighter. You know, he's very measured, and he capitalizes on his moment. That's what he's always been great at. He needs to brawl with Tyson Fury if he wants to have any chance, and he's really never done it in his entire career. And then the question is, could he sustain that for 12 rounds or whatever it takes? Because, I mean, Tyson Fury is a guy – Tyson Fury probably could have went 24 rounds – Tyson Fury is going to be there the whole night. It's it's freaky how big he is and how well conditioned he is, and he can just go all night. So I don't know. I, in my opinion, I'm not clamoring for a third fight at all. I think we've seen all we need to see with this. I would like to see Wilder move on and then Fury pursue that Joshua fight. So we'll move on down the line here. But um, thoughts on. The corner throwing in the towel. Um, I didn't have a problem with this. This is something we don't see enough in fighting. If you're just getting outclassed and beat down and there's no clear-cut path to victory for you, no hope of victory, I don't have a problem with the fighter or with the trainer throwing in the towel. Um, I think you always need to live to fight another day. And especially in boxing, we've seen a you know three, four deaths in the last year in boxing. So what did you think about the trainer throwing in the towel? Did you think it live it was the right call? And, you know, almost a week later, do you think it was the right call? Yeah, so I really hate the phrase, like, let me go out on my shield or let me be a warrior. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I hate it. I think it's the dumbest thing in the world. Um, we do not do this in any other sport in the world. Um, we protect athletes, we, you know, deal with them if they have injuries. And I think at, at the end of the day, a fighter's job is to get in there and give it everything that they have until the referee stops it. A trainer or a cornerman's job is to set up their fighter to come out of that cage or that ring with as little damage as possible, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And at that point in the fight, it was very clear Deontay Wilder was not going to win. It was very clear that he was compromised from a balanced perspective and he was just taking shot after shot and it was getting to the point where he was going to take unnecessary damage. And, and I just think if you're someone or even Deontay Wilder himself sitting there saying they should have let me go out on my shield, like think about your daughter. I mean, he's got a, he's got a young daughter. Like you want to be able to talk to her in 10 to 15 years. You don't want to have the permanent brain damage because you took an unnecessary three-minute beating in an extra round that didn't make a difference in the fight. Like, I know we see comebacks. I know we see guys, you know, recover and fight back and whatever it is, but 
your trainer knows you better than anyone. These guys have known Deontay over a decade. They've trained him over a decade. They know what they're doing. Like I, I, I just think the the criticism of this is is really laughable to me. And I'm actually really glad to see so many people praising the decision because uh, it, to me it was a no brainer. Yeah, in my eyes, it was the only decision that was only getting worse. And Fury was going to put him away if they didn't stop that fight. I mean, he was just picking him apart. He knocked him down twice. Wilder had two stumbles where he stumbled across the whole ring. He just looked like a baby giraffe out there after he got clipped behind his ear. He was just, his feet were gone. They were shot. His balance was gone. And Fury was going to pick him apart for six more rounds. And and that was the only way, you know, I saw that going down. Um, All right, let's talk about the costume. So, really, the only thing that Wilder is that the only statement he's came out and made after the fight was a statement about he said, his costume. He, he and said then he wants the rematch. That was today, though, right? He said, he, I want the rematch. He didn't really hurt me. It was my costume. The thing weighed over 40 pounds and it really wore my legs out on the way out to the uh, ring. No, I think the 274-pound gypsy wore him down <laughs> laying on him. But, uh, yeah, what did you think about that? That was one of the stranger excuses I've heard in combat sports. I, I think it's hilarious. I think it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Like, uh, like of all the things you could have blamed that night, you could have said you were injured. You could have said you had a bad camp. You could have said you had personal things going on. Nobody would have said anything. Everyone would have said, okay, fine. We understand it happens. Better man won, whatever. You blame the Power Ranger costume that you wore out to the ring, Deontay? Like, come on, man. The one thing I will say is, like, if that truly wore 40 pounds, weighed 40 pounds, and that was the first time he put it on that night, I was actually listening to Marine break this down because, like, in the Marines, they're really big into rucksacks. So they do these like runs with 40, 50, 60 pounds of gear on, right? And it's like they have to figure out the best way to carry that to not weigh down their body. And he was saying, at the very least, it takes a while to figure out what the best setup for your body is. So first of all, whoever decided Deontay Wilder should wear a 40-pound Power Ranger costume into the ring is a complete idiot. Second of all, if that's the first time he put that on, and he was like, whoa, this is heavier than I thought. And then walked out for a heavyweight championship fight against the best boxer of the generation. Like, what are you thinking? Did you see the the video going around today with him on Joe Rogan saying that he he everything he does workout wise, he wears a 45 pound weight vest and everyone is just unloading on him like, oh, my God. Yeah, I didn't I like get it. one of these for my cubicle. If this workout is that good, I'll be sitting in my cube just typing stuff up on the computer wearing the Deontay Wilder costume. I'm going to be jacked in like two weeks, Parker. Just, just wait. Sh- Episode sh- 27. Look out. Just shadow boxing, looking like a complete psychopath in your cubicle. <laughs> oh, all right. So, yeah, that was I'm glad that he said he wants a rematch. That's a much better look than coming out and just saying something about that stupid outfit he had on and then ripping his trainer. Um, All right. So what else we got on this fight? 
Yes. After this performance, I I don't think there's any question. Obviously, Anthony Joshua is going to have something to say about this, but I don't think there's any question that Tyson Fury is the baddest heavyweight on the planet right now. What are your thoughts on that? No, I think no question. Mm. I I actually think um, I had him and Wilder 1-2 heading into this, and Mm. after watching this and rewatching the Joshua versus Ruiz 2 fight... I, I'm actually going to give it to. I'm going to say Anthony Joshua is the number two heavyweight on the planet, and that um, we need to see Fury against Joshua sooner rather than later. I know Eddie Hearn wants to make that fight right now, and I think Fury wants it too. Let's do it in Wembley Stadium, ninety thousand people, every pyrotechnic in the book. You know, put it on DAZN, put it on pay per view. It doesn't matter. We'll find a way to watch. This needs to happen. Well, I've heard that argument too that there'd be a hold up with the zone, you know, because they don't do pay per view. But I mean, look at the job that ESPN and Fox put together this weekend with this fight. I mean, this fight was everywhere. Every station you turned on, you saw this fight. The advertising was everywhere. And I, I just think Joshua versus Tyson Fury to unify all the heavyweights or all the belts, you know, two British heavyweight fighters, there's not a bigger fight that you can make. And I think the time is now. I agree. I, I think Tyson Fury's only got probably two, maybe three fights left in him. Um, so, yeah. I mean, Eddie Hearns, I heard him on saying that he, if they can start working it out, he wants to get it done in the summer, which would be awesome. So, yeah. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about that fight. So, are we thinking that's not going to happen? Are we thinking it's going to have to go the third fight before that, and then the winner would get Anthony Joshua? Because I think Anthony so Joshua's I'm, got a mandatory fight coming up in the summer against Pulev, maybe? Yeah, I think I think they're going to do uh, Joshua versus Pulev and Wilder versus Fury 3. Um, you know, obviously it's combat sports and anything can happen, but assuming... Fury and AJ come out of those. I think you see Fury versus Anthony Joshua. Um, maybe, maybe in the fall or the winter, depending on what those fights end up looking like and what the damage is. And um, I, I think that fight will happen either late 2020 or early 2021. Um, but I don't think it's next for either guy. I'm gonna flip the script. I, I think Eddie Hearns. Frank Warren matchbox, you know, boxing and and Fury's management company. I think they're going to start pursuing this Joshua fight because I I don't think Fury's going to get up for a third fight with Wilder. I feel like he's in his mind he's done everything it's he can do. It's mandatory though. It's a mandatory clause. He's got to take it. Like it's it's in the contract he signed for this past fight. I hate that. All right. Well, I guess that's what we're getting then. And then Joshua's got that mandatory fight. So best case scenario, we're looking at maybe end of the year for that fight. Yep. Yep. (sighs) Well, how let's talk about that fight. You know, eventually I really, I really, really hope Joshua and and Fury are going to fight. What do you think that fight looks like? You know, with the current state of those guys, obviously Joshua got knocked out by Ruiz and then came back and just absolutely outboxed him for 12 rounds in, um, where was that, Saudi Arabia? And then Fury's been on this run that he's been on. How do you think those guys match up? 
Yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting. I think, you know, if this fight happens a year ago, we're talking about Joshua as the knockout artist and Fury as the talented defensive boxer who's going to point fight him. And I think these last two fights have almost flipped the script where Joshua looked like the point fighter against Ruiz mm-hmm. and Fury looked like the, uh, the mauler who's just going to walk you down and knock you out against uh, Deontay Wilder. So I- I'm... I'm honestly have no clue what either guy's game plan would be against one another. Um, I think they're very well balanced boxers, both of them. Uh, I just think, like you said, it's like that intangible thing where I've seen uh, Anthony Joshua quit and I've seen Tyson Fury rise from the dead and get off that canvas. And it's hard for me to shake that image of just thinking Tyson Fury's just a little grittier and wants it a little bit more than AJ does. Yeah, and I, I think that was, you know, when AJ got knocked out by Ruiz, there was a lot of talk that the pressure of, I think that was his first fight in America. It was in Madison Square Garden that the pressure had kind of got to him a little bit. And if that's the case, I mean, he's got to fix that shit soon because this is going to be one of the biggest boxing matches in probably in our lifetime. Um, you know, you're going to be in front of 90,000 people with the whole world watching. And Tyson Fury, like I mentioned earlier, it doesn't get, you don't find a more calm, collected, you know, cool fighter when all the bright lights are on you. You got Conor McGregor, 1A, Tyson Fury, 1B in my mind. Those two guys, it's amazing when the stakes are the highest, those guys are just calm, cool, collected, and usually always rise to the occasion. So that's what I'm really, really looking forward forward to. I, I just don't think Wilder's got anything for Fury and I think if Fury goes in there and dominates him again I think that could be the end of Deontay Wilder that's why I'm hoping I was hoping that he wouldn't take that fight and get a couple wins against you know Andy Ruiz or Ortiz or you know another decent heavyweight build his confidence back up. Dillian White yeah Alexander Usyk there's a there's a laundry list of guys that I think Wilder should fight instead of Tyson Fury but at the end of the day, you know, these guys are great boxers because they have huge egos. You need an ego to fight. And, you know, I'm sure that that loss doesn't sit well with him. And, uh, you know, he wants to run it back. He wants to get it back. But I, I tend to agree with you. I, I think that could be really, really bad for Wilder's career. And um, and I, I wish he would he would actually pass it up. But looks like he's not going to so yeah um what were your thoughts this was is this the first time espn plus and fox have done kind of a co-promotion on the fight i i thought they crushed it i mean the fight was everywhere everyone was talking about it i mean this is probably next to a conor mcgregor fight i've never heard just the general casual public talk about a fight so much it was everywhere it was on everyone's radar I think they crushed it in the promotion of this fight, and I think everyone made a shitload of money on that fight. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think, um, you know, everyone laments kind of the end of the HBO boxing era, and I I actually go the other way. I mean, I have nostalgic memories of watching boxing on HBO, obviously, but I, I think boxing is much more suited to Fox and ESPN. I think it fits really well in the general sports landscape. I think it was cool to see Fury on, you know, Colin Cowherd and see him on the big, you know, first take and, you know, Barstool Sports and all these different, you know, traditional sports outlets. And then, you know, have 
Wilder plastered all over everywhere. I mean, Wilder was a guy that a couple of years ago, you said Deontay Wilder. Nobody knew who that was at all, even fight fans. Yeah, he was he fighting was in everywhere. Alabama somewhere back then, and now he's, yeah, I mean, he's everywhere. But I, I think, um, especially ESPN+, Plus, I think they're killing it. I mean, you see what they're doing with the UFC and people like Israel Adesanya, George Masvidal, how big of stars those guys have became in the last year on that platform. I, I think it's great for combat sports in general that ESPN's behind it, but the ESPN-Fox combo this weekend was awesome. And... I think they did really, really big numbers. Can we please get Max Kellerman to talk about the UFC? He said it. He said it on the broadcast. He said the UFC heavyweight champion is the baddest man on the planet. I He's love that. such a good fight analyst. Please, please let us get him instead of Stephen A. Smith. Please. I agree. I was going to ask you what you thought about that. Ten years ago, you would never have a boxing guy saying the UFC heavyweight champion is the baddest man on the planet. But Max Kellerman said it last week, and yeah, I agree. Max Kellerman, to me, is one of the best analysts in boxing, and if they're going to have one of those guys on the fucking on the UFC com- commentary, it needs to be Max Kellerman. I totally agree. All right. I think coverage-wise, <laughs> when you look at the success the UFC has had, it's when the traditional sports guys get involved. So, like, you look at Masvidal on Lebetard. That could be Max Kellerman. Max Kellerman could be our in. He's one of the best analysts ESPN has in any sport, and he gets combat sports. Let him commentate UFCs. Let him analyze UFCs. We need it. Please. I'm down. All right, one more boxing topic, and then we're going to move on. 2021, what's going to be the biggest pay-per-view in boxing? Conor McGregor versus Manny Pacquiao? Or, sorry, Mayweather or Tyson Fury versus AJ. What's what's does bigger numbers, bigger business? Jorge Masvidal against Canelo Alvarez. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> That's unrealistic. <laughs> um, worldwide pay-per-view numbers or worldwide. domestic? Worldwide. Fury against Joshua does the biggest worldwide pay-per-view numbers. I think so. I think that's, I think besides Khabib and Connor rematch, I think that's the biggest fight you can make in combat sports right now. I just think that's a gigantic fight. And if that doesn't happen, that's going to be one of the biggest travesties of our fight watching careers is that not happening. That's got to happen. You've got to unify the belts. It's, it couldn't be set up better. You've got two British heavyweights at the same time on the top of the world, you got to unify the belts and figure out who's King. So that for me, I think that's the biggest fight you can make. Here's the problem though, Parker politics and boxing. Logan, Logan Paul is going to fight Antonio Brown in the co-main event. Don't do that to me. Please don't do that to me. <laughs> God, Eddie Hearn said brutal. today on Ariel Ho- or yesterday on Ariel Hawani that he wants to make the Antonio Brown Logan Paul fight. I will go fight Antonio Brown for free. I don't want to see any of that shit. <laughs> Who what? <laughs> what a crazy world we live in that you can be you can headline a boxing card with real boxers on it. Billy Joe Saunders fought on Logan Paul's undercard. How fucking crazy is that? It was awesome. No, it's not awesome. I loved it. We need to put I a stop it. to this now, Eddie Hearns. I know you make a lot of money. 
don't do this shit, please. Let Vince McMahon do this in the WWE. We don't need to see that in real boxing. We want <sighs> more, Eddie. Don't listen to Parker. No, we don't need more, Freak Eddie. Freak show Stop fights it. for days. Stop it. All right. I think that's it on boxing. Is that a good boxing Let's talk segment? talk about MMA. Jesus, what kind of show is this? <sighs> what a fucking fight we had down in... Auckland last weekend. Holy shit. I think you and I called it. This was going to be a barn burner and it delivered. This is just one of those fights that when you see it matched up, you know it's going to deliver. Fight of the night. I mean, epic fight. Two just warriors in there that were willing to just leave it all in the octagon. Paul Felder, Dan Hooker. What'd you think of the fight? This is one of those fights that you just sit in front of your TV in front of your laptop, in front of your phone, whatever screen you're watching this thing on, and you just bask in the greatness of mixed martial arts talent that you saw between these two men. Mm -hmm. I mean, the buildup was awesome. The walkouts were awesome. The fight was awesome. The the post-fight was awesome. The social media afterwards was awesome. There was literally nothing bad about this fight from its conception until its aftermath that never ever happens like this was so great i i could watch this fight over and over and over again i hope it wins fight of the year that's my number one contender at the moment for fight of the year i mean those guys went to fucking war and just left everything in that octagon i got nothing bad to say about either of these guys i love both of these guys um i don't think any of these guys lose stock you know, at all. This is one of those fights where I don't know. It was close. It was very, very close. I wanted to see how did you score it live? Um, I had it three to two Felder is what I scored it live. Yeah. So I had it, I had it three to two hooker live and I actually was more confident in that on the rewatch. And I, I'm going to break it down for you right here, how I had it. So in round one, Hooker landed more strikes and very clearly did more damage to Paul Felder. Very clearly. Because he came out of that that round clean and Felder's eye was already swelling. Um, so I'm giving round one and to I, Hooker. I, I think that carried over to the judges. I think that was just a bad look. You know, I think that made, made the fight look worse than it was. Um, so... Yeah, that that was key to me because, I mean, I thought his eye was going to be closed after that first round. Round two, though, Felder, by some miracle, comes out and he's swinging. And he outlanded Hooker in that round. I thought, um, you know, he didn't look any worse than he did at the end of round one. I mean, obviously, Hooker landed landed some shots. Mm -hmm. Relatively close round, but I'm giving round two to Felder. Round three, to me, was the closest round of the fight. And I thought Hooker did slightly more damage and landed slightly more strikes than Felder did, Mm -hmm. though Felder had some really hard shots in there. And I think that actually carried over because I thought round four was the most dominant round of the fight for either man. And Mm -hmm. I gave that round very clearly to Paul Felder. But uh, Duke Rufus mentioned Paul Felder's daughter, Ashling, in his corner. And his father, who just died last year. That was hardcore. he came out firing. And that was wild. Savage. That was one of those just like, 
primal rounds. Paul Felder just came yeah. out looking to fucking kill someone. When he said that, you know, my we were watching in the living room and it was kind of loud. And I hear Duke Rufus say something about his daughter. And then he goes, do it for your father. And you just see Paul Felder just gets a dead look. He's like coming for the kill. Oh, my God. That was awesome. So I had a 2-2 heading into the fifth, right? Then we get about three and a half minutes of these guys just trading shot for shot. It's so even. Three and a half minutes into that. So I had the striking in round five completely even. I had the fight even at that point. Dan Hooker gets a takedown, holds top control or back control for 90 seconds of the fight. I know he didn't do any damage, but he had the dominant position. He was... He was controlling Felder. He was threatening submissions. And so that to me was the difference in round five and why I gave it three to two hooker. But I would like to institute a a rule for all amateur mixed martial arts judges out there scoring fights. If you're scoring a fight 48 to 47, you have no right to complain if it goes the other way 48, 47. You're admitting that it's an extremely close fight. So I would have no problem if it was yeah. three to two Felder, but I had it three to two Hooker personally. Yeah, and there's, I mean, anytime there's a fight like this, there's always, oh, Felder got robbed. No, he didn't get robbed. Um, it's just a very, very close fight. Um, it could have went either way, honestly, and a great fight. I mean, I don't give a shit about the result, but what a great fight. Holy shit, that was an awesome one. Um Immediately after Felder started to take off the glove, and we all know what that means, it seems like he's walked that back a little bit. Do you think that was the last time we see Paul Felder, or do you think he'll be back? So I actually said this last week, that I think we could see Felder retire if he didn't win that fight. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly think it's very opponent-dependent. If Paul Felder can get a big fight, can get a big payday, um, I think we'll see him again. But I don't think, like, I don't think he has in, any interest in like a Diego Fajeda type guy, where it's like a a younger up and comer, you know, who's hungry, who's looking to make a name. I, I think Paul Felder wants to fight guys who are household names right now. Um, so. I, I think like a raging owl is almost like a perfect. Uh, I think I think him. that's I the think best best sense. matchup for him because, I mean, if you look at the rankings, who else is left? You know, I think everyone's got a fight. Um, him and Cowboy are close friends. Him and Sergio or Showtime Pettis are close friends, training partners. So yeah, that that was the one I had circled. And raging owl actually called him out. He's you know, said if he can't get the Dustin Poirier fight, he would love to fight Paul Felder. And that's another one that's just a fucking banger. So I, if Paul Felder wants to keep fighting, I, I think that's a great fight. Obviously, you see by his skills, he's right there. He's a guy that's, you know, he's a legit top five fighter in the world. Um, Yeah, I love Raging Al versus Paul Felder. I think everyone else is pretty much booked up. So... What's next? The for, only other guy uh, I had uh, I had on my list potentially for Felder, and I, I do think it's a long shot, but I think it is in the realm of possibility. I love Paul Felder versus Nate Diaz. I think that's a phenomenal yeah. fight. Yeah, I just don't think that's a big enough name for Nate Diaz. Paul Felder's kind of Maybe a hardcore, not. kind of a hardcore fans. You know, I, I don't think 
90% of your casual fans would know who Paul Felder is. But I would love that fight. Sign me the fuck up for that fight. I mean, at one point, Nate was scheduled to fight Dustin Poirier, and I think Paul Felder is probably more well-known than Poirier was when he and Nate were scheduled yeah. to fight. So you never know. Yeah, and I, on the Nate thing, I don't think we see Nate back at 155, do you? It would have to no, be up at 70. No, but Felder fought Mike Perry yeah. at 170, no problem. So Yeah. Yeah, I'm down with that fight as well. Um, all right, Dan Hooker, to me, this is a Conor McGregor show still, so I don't think we're going to see a clear-cut opponent for Dan Hooker until we figure out what's going on with Conor McGregor. Obviously, you've got Conor McGregor, you've got Justin Gaethje lingering. Uh, Justin Gaethje was the one he got on the mic and called out, and that's a great fight as well. Um, that might top your fight of the night from this one. <laughs> Those two go at it. Because those are two guys that are not Oof. going away unless you switch the lights out. And I love that fight. So, But I don't think we're going to get an answer on that at least for another month until we see Tony and um, Khabib square off. And then we'll get some more clarity on what's going on with Connor. But what would you like to see next for Dan Hooker? I mean, I'll watch Dan Hooker or Justin Gaethje you know, fight a lineup of bums in the parking lot and I might pay forty nine ninety nine to watch it too. So Can we watch I them double team the Logan Paul ask if Cage match <laughs> Justin Gaethje, Dan um, Hooker versus Logan Paul and Antonio Brown. Eddie Hearn, promote that um, shit. Let's go. <laughs> um to be honest, like I I also really like the Poirier fight and I don't see I don't get I think Poirier should kind of jump on this now because I think Poirier would be at risk of kind of getting left in the cold where if he beats Dan Hooker, he's right back in the title conversation. And I think that's a very winnable fight for Dustin Poirier. So if I was him, I would be really jumping on this, but I'm down for the Gaethje fight. I'm down for the Poirier fight. Honestly, if they made Dan Hooker against Conor McGregor, I would be cool with that too. I don't think they're going to make it, but I'd be cool with it. Um, I think it ends up with Hooker against Poirier and Connor against Gaethje, but uh, you know, I'm I'm really good with any of those matchups. I I think this guy is as exciting as anyone in that division to watch fight. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree with you. All right, gangster of the week. Last week or two weeks ago, we had James Krause stepping in on 18, 18 hours notice, I think, and then we've this week we've got Angie Hill flying across the world on like a week and a half's notice. She's 35 years old. She's had six fights in the UFC in the last 11 months. I mean, how gangster is Angie Hill? Angela Hill did the Joe Rogan experience for like two like Monday. or three hours like on Monday. Monday and was in New Zealand on Wednesday. <laughs> That's so awesome. Like... <sighs> We have got two, I mean, James Krause is the man. Angela Hill, I mean, first of all, stellar social media. If you do not follow Angela Hill on Twitter, oh my God, she's so funny. Second of all, started late in her career doing MMA. She was Invicta champ. Like, this girl's got real Muay Thai skills. Like, very real Muay Thai skills. And talked a lot in that Rogan interview about how she feels that she's turned a corner. And she's kind of blossoming, blossoming um, in her technique as a fighter. I mean, I really hope she's getting a big matchup soon, like someone in the top 10 probably, because 
I actually think personality-wise, Angela Hill could be a huge star if mm-hmm. she can kind of get up there and start to start to poke around the Watersons and the Rose Namajunas and the you know Jessica Andrajas of the world. I mean, if she could start to beat those people, like she's a huge star. I actually, now that I'm talking myself into it, I would love Angela Hill against Michelle Waterson. I think that's that's a great, a great fight. fight. No, that's a great fight. But yeah, shout out to Angela Hill. That was. Pretty badass. Um, all right, Billy, we're going to give you your podcast. It's time for your Bellator minute. We've got to the segment, new segment on the show, the Billy's Bellator minute. The stage right. is yours. This is, this is where Parker just sits back and laughs at me for yeah. about a minute and a half. I got two things from the, the Bellator double card this weekend, and I'm going to lump Ryzen into they co-promote it's it counts. So, <clears throat> Uh, Mikuru Asakura won at Ryzen. Uh, Parker and I call him the Japanese Nick Diaz. You've heard us talk about him before. Here's something interesting, Parker. For I know you think it's only for the hardcores. It's only for you know us crazy people talking Japanese MMA. Ryzen uploaded Asakura's fight to YouTube. Within 48 hours, it had 1.7 million views. That's Holy a shit. ton. That's a ton of views for a video with Japanese commentary. That's badass. I'm going to have to check that out tonight. So I think this guy could be a huge star in Japan. I think he could be the face of Japanese MMA. Ryzen has really looked for a guy who could do that for a while, and I think they finally got him. The second thing I have, Yaroslav Amasov. Parker, have you ever heard of this guy? What he did to Ed Ruth was very impressive. 23 and 0, 4 and 0 in Bellator. He's 26 years old. Ed Ruth is a three-time national champion wrestler at Penn State. What did Amasov do? He took him down. He took him down, Parker. Yeah, yeah, that dude looked good. He's very, very scary. So, I'm taking back. Book me Lorenz Larkin against MVP. Let them fight it out in a number one contender fight. Once Douglas Lima is done with Gegard Musasi, I want to see Amasov against Lima, welterweight title Whoa, shot in all right. Bellator. All right. Oh, yeah, a very impressive win is. by him. All right, I'm going to let you dive into UFC Northfolk as well. We've got – I'm just going to let you steal the show here because I honestly haven't looked at this fucking card yet. Well, Parker, good news. Uh, the card sucks. I'll be honest with you. There is, like, very, very little of of note here. I think, you know, I'll get into the main event in a second, but Megan Anderson is back in action. Uh, undercover, undercover dime piece, Megan Anderson. If you want to check in on her Instagram, yeah. Very good looking. Very attractive. Love me some Megan little Anderson. A tall, little tall for me, though, Parker. Definitely a little, little tall, tall for, for you. Definitely a little tall. All right. Um. Felicia Spencer, who beat her and fought Cyborg back in action, first time since her loss to Cyborg. Uh, kind of an interesting light heavyweight matchup. Uh, Jan Kutelaba is going against Magomed and Kalaev. I think uh, anyone who knows MMA knows if you're going up against the Magomed, you're probably going to have a bad time. Um, I love that psychopath, the- though, Ian Kutelaba. If you've never Jan seen Kutalaba. if you've never seen his stare off with uh, Khalil Roundtree, please YouTube that shit. Yes, so great. He's an animal. I I do like watching him fight. I'll tune in for that one. But 
Tell me a little bit about Magomov, whatever, Dagestan and wrestler, if I had to guess. You got it, man. Cut from the cloth. Uh, I think 12-1 and one light heavyweight, 3-0 in the UFC. Hasn't really beat anyone of, of with any name value. Uh, Kutalaba is by far his best matchup to date. And so I think this is kind of a Kutalaba's playing gatekeeper here a little bit. So yeah. that'll be interesting. But the real attraction here is the main event. Um, flyweight title fight between Joe Benavidez and Davison Figueiredo, a.k.a. the God of War, one of the coolest nicknames in MMA. And he's got the red Kratos streak back through the back of his hair. Really great look. Is he taking um, a, a page out of Greg Hardy's book with that one? I think Greg Hardy's taking it from him, man. I, I He's think this pr- guy the prince of war. Okay. All right. Um, but uh, I, I just think Parker, with no Henry Cejudo and no Demetrius Johnson, it's hard for me to get interested in flyweight, and it's even hard for me to feel like these guys are fighting for who's the best flyweight in the world. I mean, what what do you think about that? Man... I want Joe Benavides to win a damn title. <laughs> he's a guy that's been around forever, and he's always been kind of number two. I mean, he's beat pretty much everyone that's not Mighty Mouse Johnson, or he never fought Henry Cejudo, but I think he has a split Sergio decision Pettis. loss to Sergio Pettis. Um, but besides that, and Dominic Cruz, he lost twice to Dominic Cruz. But besides that, I mean, this guy has been dominant and just someone that couldn't beat those top guys. So for me, I would like to see him get a title. You know, I I think he's a guy, he's getting older. I think he's 35 now, but he's a guy that could kind of run that division if they decide they're going to keep it for the next three or four years. And he's great on the mic. He's, I think he's married to Megan O'Levy, isn't he? Yep. Yep. Good for Joe. Happy for him. Yeah. Yeah, I'll kick your covers for sure, Joe. Um, yeah, I don't know. He He's a guy that he's just kind of been that guy that just always comes up short. I'd really like to see him get a win here. How do, how do you see this going? So Figueredo always does well against guys that he can bully. He he likes to come yeah. forward. He likes to hit, you know, hit guys with, with hard hooks, hard shots. Usually in the clinch, he does really well. Um, I think Benavidez can kind of stick and move early. I think he's the faster guy. I think he's the better defensive fighter. And then I think he's got to be tactical and he's got to get the fight to the ground. I think Joe is really has the advantage on the ground here. I think mm-hmm. um, Figueredo's more of the power puncher. And um, if if Joe can get the fight to the ground, I think especially in the later rounds when maybe Figueredo's worn out a little bit, I think he can weigh on him and either get a, a sub or get a TKO uh on the ground. And Joe does have a win against uh, Henry Cejudo. He was on the ultimate ultimate fighter tournament champions finale back in 2016. So really he's lost to Sergio Pettis, uh, Dominic Cruz and mighty mouse. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to roll, make your prediction. Where, where are you going to go? I'm going to go with Joe Benavidez. I'm going to take him a uh, fourth round submission. I, th- I think Joey B is going to win a decision. And like I said, long, long road to the title for him. I'm going to be happy to see Joe, Joe B get his uh, title. And like I said, I, I think 
with that division. I think that division only has like 15 fighters left in it. I think that's a division if they keep it around that he can run until he wants to retire. And then after that, if no one's emerged, I, I wouldn't be mad to see the 125 class go away. I just don't think the UFC is the right place for it. I, I think it, you know, it hits your Japanese MMA buzzer, but yeah. I, I really think it belongs in Asia. I think people are smaller. I think they're more appreciative of the smaller weight class. Um, and I think the, the reality is the UFC's focused in the US, Europe, and Brazil, and they're not into the flyweights that much. So I, I would like to see that that class transition to Asia where I think it's just more appreciated to be honest. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, UFC Norfolk going down this weekend and then next week we'll be back. We got a absolute badass card. The return of sugar, Sean O'Malley. You got, um, Izzy taking on Yoel, Joanna taking on Wei Ling Zhang. That's going to be a great card. That's going down the next weekend, right? Yep. That is uh, March 7th, live from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. The UFC, the gift that never stops giving. Fights every weekend. Um, all right, let's run through some current events. Then let's wrap it up and get out of here. King Henry picked his next fight, Jose Aldo, with a lot of backlash from everyone in the top five at Bantamweight. You had Peter Yan, Aljamain Sterling, everyone taken to Twitter, going off on King Henry. What do you think of him basically hand-selecting Aldo to be his next uh, title defense after Aldo's coming off of two losses? I think even if Aldo beat Marlon Marais, it would have been ridiculous to book him in a title fight. I think 135... Other than lightweight, I think bantamweight is the most exciting division in the UFC. And this is promotional malpractice. This <laughs> is horrible. What are we doing giving Jose Aldo the bantamweight title shot? Peter Yan is running through people. Aljamain Sterling is running through people. Both guys would have great arguments for why they deserve the shot. And you gave it to Jose Aldo. Like, everyone wants to compare this to the Yoel Romero getting the shot against Izzy. If Paulo Costa was healthy enough to fight, Yoel would never get that shot. That's not the case. They're making the do with the best that they have. This is totally different. You have two healthy contenders who could easily fight Henry for the shot. It's so stupid, Parker, and I hate it. Yeah, this is this is just a money money thing. It's the bottom line. Piotr Jan and Sterling in Brazil are nowhere near the draw that King Henry versus Aldo would be in Brazil. Um, this is all about money, and I don't know. We get this every now and then with the UFC. It kind of is what it is. Um, you know, I think that's going to set up probably a matchup between Aljamain Sterling and, and Jan, which I'm not mad at. But Jose Aldo, you know, coming off a loss at 145 and then coming off a loss, close loss to Marlon Marias at 135. I don't get it. I Let me ask you this. Do you think they would have booked this fight if they had a, you know, banger of a headliner for Brazil? 
Probably not. I mean, I think yeah. part of this goes back to the fact that there's no real Brazilian champion. There's no real Brazilian stars coming up in MMA right now. Um, Outside uh, but, of Paulo Costa and Amanda Nunes. And Paulo Costa's hurt. Amanda Nunes is dominating everyone. Yeah, I, I think Amanda, the problem in Brazil is like, I don't know that they're that interested in female MMA. And so yeah. I, I almost think you need a, a guy to win that market. And, um, you know, Aldo is, is the biggest right now, but I, I, I am not a, ever a person who says like, we need to go by the rankings. We need to go by the sport. This is a sport, blah, 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 blah. All the people who like get all up in arms when people don't defend their titles and don't fight the exact number one contender. I've never been that person. This to me is egregious to give Aldo this title shot. I mean, it's so bad. Yeah, no, I agree. It's not not a good look. But um, what else? Oh, but I mean, for Aldo, what an opportunity. But if Aldo, if Aldo sure. goes in here and somehow beats King Henry and rides off into the sunset in Brazil, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better ending for Aldo. Yeah, and you know what? Henry Cejudo is a guy who won belts in two divisions, hasn't defended a single one. All he's done is be annoying on Twitter and try and fight Valentina Shevchenko. So if Jose Aldo, who is a gangster and an absolute <laughs> legend of MMA, goes in there and beats the snot out of Henry Cejudo in Brazil and the crowd goes crazy as they chant, you're going to die to Henry Cejudo, I'll be standing on my couch cheering with them. But at the end of the day, Aldo should not get this title shot. But you know what? If he could, if he's the guy who beat Henry, great. You know what? Uh, give everyone the title shot then until we could get rid of this clown and move <laughs> forward with actually enjoying people fighting again. So you're not a fan of Henry Cejudo, huh? I really want <laughs> Valentina the Spy to fight him because I, I think she would destroy him. Valentina head kicks him. <laughs> oh, man. Um... All right, so yeah, I, I don't, I get it. I mean, on a business, this is strictly business. This is all this is. This is, there's no playing by the rules or following the rules of the sport. This is strictly business. The UFC saw an opportunity to make a big fight in Brazil with a legend in Brazil, and that's what they did. So, I don't know. I'm excited for it, though. It'll be a good fight. Hopefully, Henry will use some fucking leg kicks. And or sorry, Aldo will use leg kicks and look like the old Aldo. And I think he could have a decent chance in that fight. Um, all right, did you see Rumble Johnson versus Curtis Blades in a sumo match? What the hell is going on there? You can't make fun of me for liking Japanese MMA so much and then ask if I watched the sumo match this weekend because of fucking course I did, Parker. Of course I watched the sumo match. Please explain to me what was going on there. So sumo, the basic rules of sumo, and like, guys, please don't slaughter me if I don't get this perfect, but basically you're trying to either push your opponent out of the ring or get them to touch the ground. Um, so it's like almost like a lineman drill in diapers with giant men and you know what that particular sumo match was awful because they didn't really understand what they were doing but I would be totally down for a sumo league with MMA fighters 
and like Olympic wrestlers and even WWE wrestlers. Like, tell me you wouldn't watch Brock Lesnar versus Francis Ngannou in a sumo match. I'm watching this big animal just fell on Rumble Johnson. <laughs> Rumble Johnson's fighting a 600-pound fighter right here, and this guy just fell on him and crushed him. What if he tore Rumble's ACL and Rumble's never able to fight again? What are we doing? Curtis Blades kind of looks like it, a sumo wrestler. Just let it happen, Parker. Did this go down in Japan, or what are we doing? No. No, it went down. I think it went down in California. Like, there was all kinds of guys on that card. Like, Gordon Ryan was on that card. Nikki Rodriguez was on that card. Um, there was, like, a lot of big names in grappling on that card. Can we talk about how jacked Rumble Johnson is? I I really can't wait for Rumble to come back in MMA. I would watch that fight in MMA too. Curtis Blades versus Rumble Johnson. Sign me up for Francis and Rumble Johnson right now. That's the one I want to see. Sure. Oh my god, what a specimen. All right, last one. Um so we've got the Conor McGregor saga continues. We've got rumblings of Justin Gaethje versus Conor McGregor and I assume would be the Dublin card in August. Is that kind of what you're thinking at the moment, or what do you think? Yeah, I'm all for this. Um, I have no problem with this fight, even though I still prefer the Nate Diaz trilogy. I think now is the time. Um, but at the end, like, I'm totally good with this. I think it would be a clear number one contender fight. I think both guys have claimed to the number one contendership. And... You know, it's kind of the brawler against the counterpuncher. I think stylistically, it actually works very, very well. And so, if you're going to bring Connor back to Dublin, you're going to give Gaethje the McGregor rub. I, I really love, I really love everything about the idea of Connor McGregor versus Justin Gaethje in Dublin. So sign me up. What weight class do you think they're going to do it at 170? Or does it matter? I think Gaethje. I I don't think it matters. I think Gaethje is going to basically say. I'm not going to do this fight if it's not at 55. I think he wants to make Connor cut. Yeah. If they book that fight, I'm going to be so excited. I'm booking a flight straight to Dublin. That would be the pinnacle if those two fought. Oh, my God. The build up, you know the build-up to that's going to get nasty. We're not going to have the churchgoer Conor McGregor like he was against Cowboy. It's going to be back to the old Connor. Shit's going to get wild in that buildup. Yeah. That's... Look. Book it. Book Gaethje. Book Nate. I don't care. Get it on the books. Like, I, both those guys would be fantastic. Okay. We'll keep you posted on that. But um, I think that's pretty much it. Obviously, a lot of boxing this week. That was a gigantic fight. Um that really that took all my attention after the Felder fight. I was locked into that. And that's really all I've been thinking about this week was how just incredible Tyson Fury was and how he delivered on the biggest stage possible. But yeah, that's pretty much it for this week. Episode 25 signing out as always. Everyone like subscribe, share. We're on all the platforms, literally all of the platforms now. So we appreciate the last couple of weeks we've had a, Tons and tons of support. I think our Brock Weaver episode had like 4,000 views or something crazy. You know, so we're we're going to keep pumping these out. 
spending time on them, making them as good as they can be. And we appreciate everyone for tuning in. Billy, any closing words? Uh, I think uh, I'm a little upset we're not going to cover Mikey Garcia against uh, Vargas next week uh, with the same I do like Mikey uh, Garcia. time we spent on Fury Wilder. Yeah. But uh, you know what? I'm, I'm glad that we're going to get back to our bread and butter of, of professional cage fighting. Next week's a big one. Everyone get your fucking popcorn ready. That's a big one. In the wise words of T.O., get your popcorn ready. All right. Episode 25. We're out. Thank you, Billy. We'll catch you next week. All right. Adios, Parker. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Parker's MMA Show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit Parker Keen's MMA show.podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes.